calling all British Empire fans. Are you looking for a new podcast to entertain you on your daily jog, while sweating on the treadmill, or sitting down with a coffee and a donut? Then you're in luck. The British Empire podcast is coming. Join me, Chris Nichols, and me, JD Collins, host of Don't Slam Your Podcast, a 2.4 children podcast, as we discuss every episode of this anarchic, underrated, and hilarious 90s sitcom. Relive the explosions, the electrocutions, and babies in drawers, to name but a few. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcast, the British Empire podcast. Excellent. Welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I am your 2.4 host, JD Collins, back with the very first show of 2023. It's been quite a while. I do apologize about that. I'll give you a, a very short but descriptive reason why it's been a while. So I have been working on the 2.4 children book and I would say the interviews are about 90% done. I've spoken to all the cast I'm going to speak to. You can work out for yourselves who those people are. And I've spoken to some crew members as well. Everyone's been so generous with their time and their stories. And I can honestly say, I can't give an estimation of when this book will be properly released, but I can promise you it will be worth the wait. Um, as a fan of the show myself, I've read stories and found out things that I, if I was reading a book about 2.4 John, I'd be really happy about it. So it's coming. So watch this space. As you will have heard in the introduction before this, we have British Empire podcast on the way, and that is indeed being co-hosted by me and Chris Nichols, who you will have heard on the 2.4 podcast. He has been on episodes like Skeleton in the Cupboard, Babes in the Wood, Vertigo and Perfect Day. I am really excited about this podcast. I think, again, another great 90s sitcom that deserves full retrospect and it was it's so far been really good fun to record them and that will be available very soon but now we're here with the first episode of the year and this episode we're going to be discussing all the film and tv parodies in 2.4 children not just the actual reenactments from certain classics but any references whether it be in dialogue video and also in the episode titles and we're going to be discussing the titles the reference in 2.4 children and where they stand today in terms of classics and recognition and joining me to discuss these who actually came up with the idea of the episode i'm ever grateful wonderful guest it's forest forest welcome back to don't Simon podcast and how have you been hi jd i'm delighted to be back how are you very well thank you it's uh, really nice to be recording 2.4 podcast again it's uh, always a a joy to be thinking of the great ideas and, and really, you know, delving into all that makes this wonderful show so layered and then frustrating because it's so underrated. But here we are. <laughs> and so today we're going to be doing the pretty much talking about every reference that I could think of that, you know, 
if anyone think if I've missed anything, please let me know. I'm sure you've probably got some that I've probably forgotten. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. No, I, I, to be honest, I was thinking that too before we started recording. I did think, oh God, I'm, I really hope at the end of it that we, we've covered most things. I could just imagine people sort of listening going, oh, you didn't mention this film and you didn't mention mention this reference. So hopefully we'll cover most things. Yeah, I think so. I, I think we will. Yeah, I mean, the list is a long list. <laughs> so let's go from the very beginning. The very first reference I can think of is in the very first episode when Bill is in the living room and the kids are getting, um, getting ready for school. And she mm -hmm. mentions, um, why Meryl Streep never thanked that dingo, I shall never know. Do you know what film that's referenced to? I think it's, it's called A Cry in the Dark. It's, it's A Cry in the Dark, and I think it also has another title. I think it was called something else, I don't know, in Australia, but it, A, a Cry in, in the Dark. Yeah, it's it, Cry in the Dark was it, the title outside of Australia and New Zealand, and in America, uh, in Australia, sorry, it was called um, Evil Angels. And it is Mel Street film from 1988, and it tells the real-life story of the case of Azaria Chamberlain, um, and it was about a, a baby who uh, went missing um, it, when they were camping in Uluru in Northern Territory, um, mm -hmm. essentially killed by a dingo. But um, mm -hmm. the mother was Linda Chamberlain, who Mel Street plays, was accused, wrongly convicted, of her daughter's, well, death. Presumably they, they suspected her of murder. Yeah, um, it's one of those ideas. I mean, I've not seen the film, but I've read a bit around the story. And it's one of those mm -hmm. where it was the true story of a, a case that had been a sort of sensation pre in the previous couple of years. Um, and it would have been quite recent when the first episode 2.4 came out. Yeah, I saw I haven't I've seen I sort of dipped in and out of it because I think it, at one point it was all available on YouTube. And I watched the scene where the dingo entered the tent and then I I saw the ending, you know, where they they found I think they found uh, I can't remember if it was if it was, you know, trap explorers. I think they found a, a piece of a, a piece of clothing. And, uh, and I think it was it, it helped release um Linda Chamberlain, because I, I think they realised that this piece of clothing, I, I don't know if it actually was from the actual child or it was from a, another person that had been killed by a dingo. Yeah, I've, I've read about that and I think it, that's how they know because the body was never found. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was just clothing and evidence and the area yeah. was that that's what would have happened. Yeah. It's, it, but it's, it's one of those where it's a great um, sort of uh, bore into Bill's mind because mm -hmm. she's saying something quite dark about yeah. what is not just a film, but actually a real story. But it also, yeah. in the, being in the first episode, it's getting across the film references, which is something that would come about mm -hmm. a lot in the series. But I think as well, what's really interesting is, I mean, I don't know many people who know the film Evil Angels, but Meryl Streep, I mean, 30 years on, is still considered a very highly acclaimed and oh. lauded actress. Yeah, absolutely. I recently watched her in The Bridges of Madison County, and uh, I defy anyone, you know, to watch that without getting upset. Honestly, it's the last twenty minutes is uh, is is quite painful. I don't know if if you've seen or read the book. The book is fantastic. The book is so slim; it's tiny, but it, gosh, it's uh, it's a, a really good read, and and the film is is very faithful to the book. Is that Robert Redford that's in it with her? 
no, that's out of Africa. Oh God, that's another one. That that is an absolute masterpiece yeah. by uh, directed by Sidney Pollock. No, the Bridge to Madison County. It's Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood who also directs Clint it. Eastwood, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think you can Meryl Streep's Rangers in, of, of stories is incredible. I mean, if you think of two thousand and eight, she did a film called Doubt, which was about a nun in a in a. Mm. in a Catholic school and, and um, accusations towards a priest based on a play and in the same year she did Mamma Mia I mean you couldn't get any more diverse than that yeah in just have one. you have you seen her in Death Becomes Her have you seen that with Goldie Horn? no but I've I've been told it's very good oh JD honestly watch it it's really good don't if you don't mind me saying, don't watch it when it's on on ITV because there's a lot of you know bad language. It's is quite edited. So if you okay. do watch it, you know, watch it, you know, watch it on DVD or something. Watch the full thing. It's it's brilliant. I will do. Thank you. Yes. Um. But I think Death Comes was probably a year or two after this film. So even in even in the nineties, she was considered, you know, one of the best actresses ever. Yeah. And absolutely. so relevant and another relevant um reference to now today, in the third episode, uh, when they go and get stuff, the tough go shopping. You have Ben going to the tax office in a brilliant spoof, which is obviously a parodying Western. And you know, they, mm-hmm. I love the way that it's um, newspaper just going around away like tumbleweed. But that I think yeah. is based on High Noon, uh, the, a, a Western from the oh, 50s. Okay. Have you seen that? It's with Gary Cooper. No, I am. Um, I again, when I first saw it, I, I it was obviously it was a parody of something, but I just I, I wasn't too sure what. Yeah, it's it's meant to be a very sort of, kind of a watershed moment in Western genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of I mean I'm I'm going to be honest I don't like westerns one little bit I I just I no. don't find them particularly interesting I mean I. I could very easily say, oh, they they all look the same, and I probably watched a load of them, and there's loads of different mm-hmm. variations. But I think for the films that came after us, like the Spaghetti Westerns or Clint Eastwood yes. films, um, that film, The High Noon, is is very um, much a watershed moment in that genre. And what yeah. afterwards, <clears throat> what's interesting about it is that film is 1957, so this is would have been 34 years later. And now we're 32 years after 2.4 children. Mm-hmm. It's still considered a, a classic. Yeah. It's going to be a running theme, I think, in this conversation, which is a lot of these references are either very contemporary mm-hmm. or classics from 20, 30, 40 years earlier. And yeah. now we are very much you know, 30 years away from 2.4, how these still stand up and but how they were seen as then is very interesting. Yeah. Yes, I mean, even just the title, High Noon, in both series four of the British Empire and an ITV sitcom called Home to Roost, they both have an episode called High Noon. It's uh, And to be honest, I think uh, even without me knowing about the film, I've heard, you know, the, the, the phrase or the title High Noon so many times, you know, oh, we'll meet at High Noon or, you know, having a laugh, you know, oh, uh, you know, we'll have a jeer at, at High Noon. It's, uh, it's a well-known title. Exactly. And so it's sort of one of those where people may never have seen it, but they can quote it, quote the mm-hmm. name, quote the idea behind it. It's it's amazing how these pop culture references seep into the, the public conscience, into the zeitgeist yeah. every generation. And then there's another reference to when um, Bill refers to Sammy, David's friend, as being 
a member of the Monsters, and also they used yeah. from Twin Peaks. So Monsters were a, a sitcom, family sitcom from the 1964, a family sitcom about a group of monsters, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. They premiered around the same time as the Adams Family TV show. I think the best way to describe, to, to differentiate them is the monsters were all kind of monsters. So there's Herman Monster, who's like a Frankenstein mm-hmm. monster. There's Grandpa, yeah. Grandpa, who's a Dracula character. Lily is a yeah. Dracula character. Uh, Eddie is the the youngest son. He's a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn, who's uh, kind of based on Marilyn Monroe, is the human sort of pretty girl. But everyone thinks in the family thinks she's a misfit. Yes. And yeah. the Adams family were more ghouls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they're not specific monsters, but they're ghouls. And I think the best different, way to differentiate them is that Monsters was a bit more wholesome, even when it was playing up to the dark, to, to the monstrous elements. Whereas the Adams mm-hmm. family is proper dark comedy. And there, there's reference to the Adams yeah. family. When yeah. Bill says to Ben, you know, he's never been this. David's never been the same after he took him to see that film. Yes, I have to. But I didn't when I because I went through a massive. I mean, I still like it, but I went through a massive monsters uh, period, and I didn't actually realize that that uh, the first series came out before the Adams Family. The Adams Family first series, I think, started during the second season of um, of the Monsters. I, I think the Monsters is brilliant. I have to. Admit, I've got the DVDs. I haven't watched it for. You know, since I was at school, it'd be quite interesting to see, you know, how it still plays out. But I, I loved it when I watched it for the first time. It was so used to on BBC too. Yes, it was. It was on CBBC for a couple of years, but in the two thousands, that's how I know. Yeah. Um, I I like the graph, the the black and white, uh, mm. and you know, the, when when Bill mentions going back to the Adam family in terms of mm-hmm. the new movie, the film with Angelica Houston had come out in nineteen ninety one. Oh yeah, yeah. Which David has a poster of outside his door. And yeah, really impressive poster too, isn't it? It's yeah. I think I think that was the original. Must have been like the original from from that time, and it's interesting because both those franchises have grown in pop culture in terms of the mm-hmm. monsters has had reboots, and recently there was a, a remake um, by Rob Zombie, which I haven't seen. I I'm very skeptical. I didn't mm-hmm. like the trailer. Have I've... you seen it? Oh uh, no, I can't bear can't bear to watch. I saw the trailer and just I'm not joking, within about twenty seconds of the trailer, I, I thought you are joking. I I'm not I can't put myself through this, I just can't. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It it I think some things should be left as they were. I think the two Adams Family films from the nineties, especially Adams Family Values, I think oh, yeah. very, very good. They would seen that dark humour. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because the monsters will have been Bill and Ben's generation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I just think that's always great to know that something that was, you know, we are now further in time from 2.4 children than 2.4 children was from the monsters. And yet the monsters is still massive. In fact, my dad was in Salem, Massachusetts this last week. And he went past a, a comic book shop where Butch Patrick, who was Eddie Munster, is going to be doing a signing. Oh my god! Yeah, he's did you go in? He went in, took a picture. He oh. wasn't. It was the. I think he's. I think he's going to be there next week. But they had a poster promoting him, and my dad took a picture for me, and I was just so impressed. So cool. excellent! Yeah, wow! I loved the grandpa character. Just thought yes. he was hilarious. Oh yeah, great double act between him and Herman. Oh, those cast that cast and and the Adams the the, the cast yeah. of those shows are 
stunning. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of reboots don't quite work as well. They they lack yes. the and the originality, and it's almost like yeah. succeeding actors try and imitate what's become before rather than mm-hmm. bring their new and bringing a, a yeah. shade of old and new. Yes. Well, to be honest, I actually, even though they don't tend to do well generally, uh, you know, in terms of critics, I have to know, I do love the ca- cartoons when they're turned into films. For example, I mean, the 90s Adams Family films are brilliant. The first Flintstones film I absolutely love. E- even in the early 2000s, you know, the Scooby-Doo films, they, were, they oh, yes. couldn't have been cast any more perfectly. They just all looked exactly like the, the cartoon characters. Fantastic. Oh, I agree. And and I think that there was a time where it was, I think in the 90s and 2000s when the reboot began, mm-hmm. I think that they were probably better because the series or the, the films they were bringing back had mm-hmm. were still fairly recent in people's memories. And they mm-hmm. just like the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo had um, developed a new generation of followers. Mm-hmm. My brother, um, Flintstones was just before I was born, but my brother loved it. A cartoon, so he went to the live action, and then eight years later, mm-hmm. because I was a massive Scooby Doo fan, we went to see the live action Scooby Doo. Yeah, I think that since then there've been more reboots, and I know there's been like an animated Adams Family, and it, I don't know. It just sometimes the more they do, the less they have to offer. Even and and yeah. I'm not saying that these films don't get a new fan base and they don't mm-hmm. intrigue a new generation. Mm-hmm. But I think that the first of these kind of reboots of the new generation version of whatever are yeah. always the most interesting because it's a fresh take. Yes, and I feel like with a lot of the remakes, even if they're, I think I get the feeling that even if you know people like them, I just get the feeling that they just won't last as long as as the classics. Yes, I was just going to say, but even um, I lose a bit of a. You know, I'm digressing here, but even sort of a lot of the remakes of the new Disney films, I just can't watch them. I really cannot. The new JD, I can't believe I'm saying this, but when the Tom Hanks Pinocchio film came out, I couldn't wait to watch it because it's Tom Hanks. And I was sitting there and I just thought, really? You know, I couldn't wait to watch this. It was just, it was flat. Uh, oh, just, I could go on, but it was yeah. very disappointing. I think we'll be revisiting this remakes thing later with a few Disney um, <laughs> references. But the net going from monsters in in what in this episode of um, one mm-hmm. scene to something even more contemporary of the two point four age is when mm-hmm. Bill says that Sammy's family are from Twin Peaks, which mm-hmm. would have been on BBC Two in the end of nineteen ninety, and it will have ended in ninety one. So at cool. this point. Um, Two point uh, Twin Peaks was a fairly new series. For anyone who's never seen it, uh, it is a nineties, early nineteen ninety drama, serialized drama. It was built as a soap opera about a small town in America. A girl is murdered, and an eccentric detective comes in to solve it. The town is full of very strange people, and it's about the real dark underbelly in this seemingly wholesome looking town. Have you ever seen Twin Peaks? No, I haven't actually. And actually, JD, would you clear this up for me? Is it, is it that, is there two seasons and then was it X and then a couple of years later it came back as a film? 
yes the history of twin peaks is weird so the thing about twin peaks it was it was lauded because it was by a director called david lynch who had made these really well firstly very arty films like the eraser head then he made uh, mainstream films like the elephant man he was the first director to ever take on dune well not the first one to uh, there have been attempts to make dune but he had made it um properly for the cinema and then he did a film called Blue Velvet, which is a, a really dark thriller, and it's pro- it's like it's it's the closest his mainstream has come to his really Lynchian style, which is dark, it's weird, it's dreamy, it's mm-hmm. sinister, and it's and also disturbingly funny. And so he he went to television, and basically that show changed TV because. American TV drama had always been seen as very boring, it, not just in storytelling, but in the way it was filmed. And he brought this cinematic sensibility to the to the medium. And it became a hit immediately because it was weird and people became this big cult show. But it did lose its way. I mean, I am such a fan of it. It's one of my favourite shows. It's one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen because even its oh, worst, wow. it's far more interesting than any telly that before or since probably. And so that they did two seasons. It was canned because it just went off the rails. And then they did a, a, a movie, a reboot, a, a sort of sorry, a, a sort of prequel, which was about the girl who was murdered in the in the beginning of the series. The film's about her last seven days. Mm. And then, but it's it's a phenomenal. In fact, it's actually my favorite horror film. Uh-huh. And then many many years later, they brought it back for a third season, a rebooted third season, which I can't give it away, but there's hints in the original series that there's something would happen years later and it did and it was even more weird and strange and it, it's probably the most original tv show since the original series oh and you liked the third series it's my favorite of the, the three yeah. i mean it was it, ah. it, it takes a lot of it's a i mean i think twin peaks is i would have loved to have known bill porter's opinion of it because it is the definition of even of mama even at its most normal it's the most bizarre thing it play it doesn't play to mainstream audiences at all it's, it eventually just became a cult show and it's now a very sort of respected cult show mainly because of this third season but it's interesting that she mentions it at this time because it was a hit on bbc2 um, sure. i i mean I, it's a show i'm very cautious who i recommend it to i think I've only rec- i've only recommend, recommended to about five people uh-huh. because i think they're the only ones who might like it and a couple of them didn't so they sure. go to uh-huh. show is that why it was axed then after the, the second season yeah, it it sort of went. There's a lot of it was behind the scenes politics that just meant that this, that affected the storytelling, and then viewers okay. went away. I don't think the ABC network who who create made the show in in America got it mm-hmm. and messed it around. Basically, tried to make it fail, and then that was it. <sighs> but it's interesting to sort of have that um, that uh, inclusion in two point four because it is a show that's very tied to the nineties. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that Bill mentions it here, and it's not going to be the only cult American show of the '90s that gets referenced in Two Point Four Children. And so we go on to the last episode, Younger Heart. It's a very, it's kind of one that you might not recognize if you don't know it. But the birds spoof, which is when Bill goes out of Sammy's house, um, he see she sees a bunch of kids on her car. And that's like the birds in you know, the Alfred Hitchcock film. Oh, I actually didn't didn't pick that up at all. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a um I like those little moments in 2.4 where it's kind of 
it's not I mean I love obviously I love all the Blues Brothers and the prisoner stuff where it's an it's sort of elongated parody scene but it's like the little flashes mm. within the world of the show which you, you, you know the little note, easter eggs that you kind of may or may not get I, I love things like that mm-hmm. yeah and then we go on to the second series and I, I challenge Annika now it's interesting because when I first saw these episodes, I didn't know who she was. I, I sort of recognised by some the audience reaction when she appears that it's someone quite well known to that audience. But then I had to do my own research. And then in recent years, Annika Rice has, well, she's never really gone away, but she's made seems to have made more of a comeback. And so has her series Challenge Annika. Did you know of Challenge Annika? Do you know what? I, I did only by chance. There's, you know, that the magazine Viz in the in the very early nineties, they they did um they made four cartoons of of Roger Melly, and one of them's called Challenge Roger. Okay. And uh, so at the time, I didn't get it, but it was only when I you know when I googled it, and then obviously it said it was a parody on Challenge Annika, and uh, so that's that's the reason how I was able to to get the reference. It was only by chance. Yeah, it, and I think it, the thing is, it was obviously a big show at the time, and it was very. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of big mainstream viewing figures it got so to get it in 2.4 especially in the second series it shows how how successful 2.4 had become to get start having name um, guest star but I like the idea that within this real world you have Bill trying to get her car started and she has to be at the DFS office in time and then they have this the parody of how many minutes she's got left like it was on Challenge Annika yes exactly it just brings, I like the, that element of the show where it's, you know, it isn't just a, a, a not a dream sequence or a fantasy yes. sequence. It's it's very much embedded within the everyday mundanity mm-hmm. of yes. life, which in another, which you couldn't imagine. You can obviously make out humour from those um, sort of mundane ideas. But I think mm-hmm. really clever is that uh, the way Andrew Marshall and the director, Richard Bowden, really do try out new ideas for a sitcom episode. Um, and the genre just is it's innovative. I think that's what's really cool about it. I yes, like absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Original. Yeah, and then you go on to the, the next one, which is in the episode Hormones, uh, and it's a, another contemporary reference, and it's the Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, when they go and bring the video over and Bill wanted Mary Poppins, which at that point would have been about nearly 30 years old. T2, Terminator, Terminator Judgment Day is, is very, very uh, classic yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, are you a, um, a Terminator fan? No, I, I watched it with my brother a, a, a really long time ago. I can't really remember. Actually, no. Sorry, I think I'm thinking of Predator. No, I've never, I've never seen. Ter- Obviously, I know that I'll be back. But, yeah. uh, so that was terrible. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I know what it looks like. But again, I've never seen it. To be honest, I don't think I will ever see it. it I, I just know it's not my type of film. Yeah, it's it's um quite it's very different the first and the second. The first one's much more. It's a bit. I can describe it as a bit like Alien Aliens if you've ever seen them. Terminators mm-hmm. are kind of a, it's it's like almost like a slasher film in a way. It's just a a, mm-hmm. a, a, a a machine that kills off people to get to one person. And this sequel T two with bigger budget, loads of action. One of the first films to use CGI, oh. and I like the way again 
like they did with Challenge Annika, that they incorporate this idea within the scene of Ben and Bill on the motorway, that Ben's having this race between him and the other car. Mm-hmm. And yet it plays up to the idea of the idea of the hormones of the episode, which is that Bill thinks she's pregnant. So we learn later what's going on with Jenny. But Ben, almost like the testosterone within Ben, trying to thinking of himself as the T100. And I do like the way that he morphs from Ben, Gary Olsen, to Arnie. Yes, I really like that too. Actually, surprisingly, when I when I very first watched it, I didn't. I don't know if I just wasn't concentrating, but it wasn't until after a couple of watches that I'd actually missed that whole you know transformation of him turning into Arnie. Yeah, yeah, it, it's quite it's quite um, subtly done in terms of the 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 effect of it, and mm. it's just I I just think it, it again builds up that. The, the the zeitgeist of Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Terminator is my favorite sci-fi film and one of my favorite action films. Um, oh, is it really well made? I watched it again. I actually went to see it at the cinema uh, about eighteen months ago. It was re-released for the thirtieth anniversary, and because mm-hmm. it had been restored, and it was quite sad in a way to watch, you know, a film from thirty years earlier that was better made. Better written, yeah. better acted than most blockbuster films today. Yeah, so it's it's a phenomenal piece of work and and a good story as well as good action. Sure. And did you were you happy with the with the restoration of the picture? Yes, uh, because it looked like a new film. It didn't. Yeah. Some restorations really ru- ruin a film. This helped it, <laughs> I think. Oh, um, excellent! I'm sure the grainy VHS quality made it really cool then, but I think the restoration it definitely benefited. Another reference is that Mary Poppins. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen Mary Poppins. Oh, of course. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's pretty much everyone has seen it, you know, in, in childhood. It's such a, a classic. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched it for a long time, but I, yeah, I've got fond memories of it. Oh, did you see the Mary Poppins Returns? I did see it. Um, I quite enjoyed it, actually. What did you think? Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's really good, actually, as far as sequels go. I, I think Meryl Streep's in that as well, isn't she? Don't think so. Oh, okay. Her. She might have been in something like it at the time, but I don't remember her in it. Oh, okay. Um, but no, it's, again, another, um, you know, Bill, I think, wanted something more wholesome. That's why she requested Mary Poppins and it will have been her childhood as well. Whereas the interesting thing is you have Bill in her childhood loving Mary Poppins and then in, in David's childhood is Terminator 2 and all these big yes. ex- explosive <laughs> action films. Just it shows the difference in the eras of movies because, you know, Terminator yeah. 2 in 30 years, I would say there's so many movies now that are very much following on from that. Whereas Mary Poppins was very of its time in a way. There have sure. been films like it, obviously. Obviously, there have been musical films since, but you sure. know, very much of its time, the 60s. Yeah, JD, just this sort of this has just randomly come into my head. In in Love and Love and Marriage, when when Grand buys David that video, um, is it do, do you think that I haven't checked, but is that an actual movie? Is it that that's the one that um, calls them um, cyborg bloodbaths? Yes. I have looked at it before i have actually done i have actually looked at it before let me just see if it is now uh there isn't no there isn't i think it was just a name 
Oh, okay. But I Sorry, I just suddenly thought of it. No, no, it's good, a good one because I think he mentions in the first episode watching video nasty. Yeah. Plays into, I mean, I am fascinated by the video nasty era. I, I really am. I'm fascinated by the, the revolution of home video. I, I really <laughs> think it's a fascinating yeah. moment in, in technical history and social history. Yeah. But the thing that was interesting about the Video Nasties era is they were, they did a study um, asking school children who had they had they had they seen the Video Nasty and which ones, mm-hmm. and so many of the kids made up the names. I mean, you could have compared ones that they made up and the ones that they that actually were Video Nasties, and they and mm-hmm. you couldn't you could have believed any of them were real. But Cyborg Love Bat is very much a type of uh, schlocky video nasty which would probably be yes. released on a very nice video blu-ray these days yeah but you know what's really interesting actually you were saying about the home videos uh mm. a lot of directors you know sort of before the videos came out you know when you have the sorry i, I sorry excuse my ignorance i don't know the exact words but you know when you have the the wide screen and then you have sort of the thick wide screen with yes. the, 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 the 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 bigger black bars i know a lot of directors were sick of pan and scan where in the cinema you would see the full screen and then it was panned and scanned for home videos where it cut a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the screen off. So a lot of directors and actually opted not to use, you know, the bigger of the widescreen just because they, they felt it was messing up their films. I mean, Sidney Pollock, he actually, in, in I think, it, it, a video release of Three Days of the Condor, mm. I think in... Uh, a Danish version. He actually tried to take that company to court because he felt it actually had destroyed his film. It's funny you say this. I was watching a video at last the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade only yesterday, and it was talking about mm. that that exact thing when they released it on video. Yes. Um, yeah, and and again, it's um, it was interesting the the video like E. T. wasn't released on video until six yeah. years later because yeah. oh, wow. didn't want it didn't agree with the idea and then when he realized it would be yeah. a huge thing um mm-hmm. uh, he had no choice but to to yeah to release it and so well, yeah oh no, i was just gonna say i mean I, it, it may sound like i'm exaggerating but particularly mrs doubtfire and 101 dalmatians when i watched them on video and then you know then watch them on dvd years later Obviously, with both those films, you see far more on the screen. And at some points, it did feel like I was watching a, a different film just because you, you were seeing more. And, it, uh, it's, um, the, and it's quite interesting because I still have a video player. And this sounds really geeky, but sometimes I'll go back and watch some of those films. And it's just even like Tootsie I recently watched on video. And uh, I, I've only ever seen it on, you know, on big widescreen. So watching it on video for the first time and then seeing the different pictures, I, I was really fascinated by it. It's, uh, I quite like looking, I like looking at the difference. Well, it's interesting what you say. I mean, we're going to be going on to videos later. and uh, But I think, the, of course, video by the 90s and 2.4 age, videos were really a big thing. Mm. Um, and they're making a comeback now. They're, I follow a lot of Instagram accounts that are dedicated to watching the old videos people like to buy the vhs's now um Mm -hmm. because a lot of people thought that they would have the tape would have dried out by like the 2010s but people are able to watch the videos that they they, videos that they had four years ago yeah isn't it um but i think it's just that nostalgia and blockbuster and (laughs) as well i think because of things like netflix it's not the same exactly you know exactly so another parody, which was actually on an episode that we discussed, there was one night in Bangkok when 
Ben meets his dad for the first time in the airport and there's the exchange between them and then there's subtitles um, mm-hmm. sort of referencing what's going on in their minds. And I felt it was very similar to a scene in, in the Woody Allen movie Annie Hall, which is a scene where him and, and Diane Keaton are on a balcony basically talking uh, uh, to each other about random stuff. But then when they say something about, I don't know, the weather, there's some subtitle come up, which is like, oh, he's hot or, you know, something like... Oh, okay. The subtitles are reflecting their mind about what they think about each other, similar to this Mm. scene. Oh, Um, okay. I know it's a very hot potato topic when it comes to the discussion of Woody Allen, but have you ever seen Annie Hall or any of his films? No, do you know, I've only seen one and it's because I'm biased towards Sidney Pollock. Uh, he made a fi- Woody Allen made a film in 1992 called Husbands and Wives. And that's the only Woody Allen film that I've seen. Have, are you a fan of his films? I am. I am. In, I am. Yeah, I like it. I like his work. I think sure. I'm able to di- to distinguish, you know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot today about separating the creative and the Mm -hmm. work the person and the creative person and I think me you know a lot of the films I like I like I I like a lot of his films but I've not seen a lot of a lot of the later ones I've seen about a couple most of his I like are from the sort of late 60s to the sort of 90s mid 90s Annie Hall's really really good it's a really good romantic comedy I think it's very intelligently written and yeah very well observed and some really funny lines and Diane Keaton is just delightful in is that would you say if you was to recommend a Woody Allen film would that would that be the one I would because I think his early ones are very quirky very quirky um and I think he started in the sort of mid to late 70s writing more sort of mainstream stuff but with his style his own mm-hmm. style um so I, I, I like that little moment in, in the exchange between um Ben and um and his dad because again it's just something within the a real life and it also elevates the tension between them but at the same time it being a parody you know it's one of those things with the times we live in now with we Woody Allen films they're still being shown they're, they're respected even though it's sometimes you're not allowed to say that you're a fan of them but I'm happy to say because I think again I, I, I think it depends as well on on the um what's in the story so like in manhattan which is his follow-up to 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 annie hall he Mm -hmm. um there isn't he has an affair with um a girl who's 17 and he's like 43 in the in the film and it's it's a it's icky because of the things that have accused him in real life um but annie hall i I think is is perfectly enjoyable because you just sort of forget it's just a really good interesting well observed is is murder mystery manhattan is that a good film I've not seen it. That one. Oh, okay. But I want to, as I think I'd like it. Mm-hmm. When Bill and Rona are um, in the predicament where Rona's hanging from the ceiling, and then Bill is got ahead through the cat flap, they talk about a range of things, including the Wizard of Oz, and it's a really interesting moment when Bill talks about the scene where. Uh, whatever happened, you know, about Miss Gulch, whatever happened to the other witch. Uh, okay, yes. And it's in, I mean, presuming you've seen The Wizard of Oz? Not all of it, but is that is that a reference to sort of the sort of the mystery behind it? Yeah, or... it's like what happened. I mean, Miss Gulch disappears 
uh, go, go, she go, she wants to take Toto away, and mm-hmm. then by the end of the film, Dorothy and Toto are back in the house, and then they talk about obviously there's an, an, um, the Wicked Witch of the West, the Wicked Witch of the East, South, North, and then they're just talking about these random parts, and it's almost like fan mm-hmm. theory, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, sure. Um, which is really funny. Uh, I mean, Wizard of Oz is a classic, another one that I think most people see in their childhoods and still holds up today. Um, it would have probably been more Bet's era of movies. Yes. Because um, I'm guessing, I can't remember, did it come out, was it 29 or 39? Do any of those dates sound correct? 39 it came out. It's 39, yes. Yeah, so, and, and it's one of those where it became... It was one of the. It didn't wasn't a hit in the beginning, but over the yes. years it built up. And but by the nineties, the Wizard of Oz was considered a, a sort of heritage, oh, heritage, and still is really. I mean, it's it's it's. Oh yeah. One of those early films that still really holds up, and I don't think it ever will go out of fashion, to be honest. Yes, and again, there's um, you know, they, again, sometimes even they they still make documentaries about the behind the scenes and the way that you know Judy Garland was 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 treated on the set, and even that that mystery that has now been debunked where they were convinced that uh, sorry JB, this is what i thought you were referencing earlier you know when they say about the uh, someone's hanging hanging in the background someone's you know killed themselves just yeah, yeah it was completely debunked in a netflix yeah. documentary yeah i thought it was a munchkin uh, one of the actors who played a munchkin who died on set and it was not it was just a bird yeah set. yeah it's, it's one of those films that's kind of got a lot of um of, of theory surrounding it thinking it's cursed but it, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of things to learn from the behind the scenes of that film but i don't necessarily think it's it's um cursed yeah really interesting um one a uh, parody well not parody really it's just inspired is the scene when uh, david is speaking to angelo in the hospital over his bed and that mm-hmm. was inspired by um sort of life and death which is from 1946 it's a michael powell and emmerich pressburger film about david niven who was a english uh, army man who should have died in a plane crash in a a helicopter plane crash um and he's saved but heaven try and bring him okay it's i only saw it before christmas for the first time and i absolutely loved it Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Beautiful film. Exactly. I can't believe something like that was made then. I always thought, I always had this idea that films from the 40s, especially British films from the 40s, were very tame, but actually it was very mm. original. And, and though the writers say it's uh, Michael Powell and um, Emmerich Pressburger, they are really well liked, and especially by people like Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Lord, their, their style. And I, I'm going to have to, uh, they, they did films like The Red Shoes. Um, oh okay, yes and so i'll be i'll be definitely wanting to um black narcissist so i'm, I'm going to be looking at them more but i like that what i like about that scene in, in the episode 2.4 is that it's a very serious moment obviously as i said before the idea of potentially killing off or even just hinting at suggesting killing off the mm. child of a family sitcom very 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 dark and but very you know can happen and that's why it works well but that idea of him in limbo I mean, it's a, I mean, if you, if anyone who's ever seen a Matter of Life, there's such beautiful images, and I, and I think that one of him and Angelo over his, his body is, is yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, really powerful. In fact, when I watched it for the first time, I can remember thinking, uh, even then, you know, this is a, this is a powerful episode, and 
I, I did think, oh my god, they're not really going to kill off a main character, surely. Surely you get completely sucked into it. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. It's, uh, it, again, I think it is showing um, Andrew Marshall's influence, not only influences, but just, you know, the, the films and TV he's seen. I mean, you see yeah. that a lot in, in the show, and, and sometimes it's for comedy, and sometimes it's for serious scenes. Yeah. And, in, yeah. yeah. No, to me, I think some of the best um, comedies have a lot of pathos in it. To me, that's that's how it works. It shows you know, the emotion side. You know, even for example, oh, this might sound ridiculous, but you know, in the first Home Alone, when 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 after Kevin's just seen that terrible Santa Claus, and he's just walking along the street, and he he looks and he can see, uh, you know, this this whole family getting together for Christmas, and he's just standing there by himself on the street in the dark. It's a sad. That's a sad moment in that film. I will be unashamed to admit. A thing about Home Alone later, which I will when we get because we'll get to Home Alone later. But you know, yeah, sure. I agree completely. Very, mm -hmm. um, very much a lot of pathos in that. Um, the going to comedy though, Misery has a phenomenal spoof of the film Misery with yeah. as, as uh, the Kathy Burke's character. I mean, a, a Misery was a film that would have been quite recent at this point. You know, it was out in mm -hmm. 1990, and yeah, based on a Stephen King book. Still a very popular book. Still a very popular film, and. Mm -hmm. Stephen King and again the fact that Stephen King is, is mentioned a few times in 2.4 and and he's he just has never gone away and and in fact they're make, remaking a load of his the films that were already made of his books he, it's amazing how even there I mean he he was kind of a, a big name almost from the beginning really yes yeah his his works but do you have a favorite Stephen King sort of book and film um tough one I mean, Shawshank Redemption was him. His yeah, absolutely. the Green Mile too. Green Mile. Yeah. He's a phenomenal writer of stories of all genres, not just horror. I think people always assume he's horror, but he can write science fiction. He can write yeah. fantasy, sort of more sort of straight drama as well. Yes. I don't know if I should admit to this, but uh, you know how, you know, it, normally the cliche is, you know, the books are always better than the films. I have to admit, in the case of The Shining, I do think it's one of those rare occasions where I do think the Jack Nicholson film, the one directed by Stanley Kubrick, is better than Stephen King's book. Even though Stephen King's novel of The Shining is is good, don't get me wrong, yeah. but uh, to me, that the Jack Nicholson film is is more or less perfect. I love it. Funnily enough, he hated it, Stephen King. He doesn't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what actually happened one time? Uh, it was quite uh, interesting to see because obviously Stephen King is loved, but also Stanley Kubrick is loved. Stephen King was at, I, I saw it on YouTube, he was at some event, I think, I don't know, something like 10 years ago or when, when Dr. Sleep come out. And he, he sort of made a comment and then he then sort of finished it by saying, oh, well, well I'm, I'm still alive and Stanley Kubrick isn't. And I can tell you, he got quite a frosty reception from the audience when he said that. It was... Yeah, I was quite sort of taken aback. I think because he's he's so loved, I, he probably felt that people would just sort of a, a, accept him saying that, but they weren't. The audience weren't uh, impressed. He's got. I I think that I think the vibe I get about King is he's got a very dark sense of humor, and you either yes warm to it or you don't. Um, yes, exactly. The wrong audience and all that. But what I yeah. love, do like about the misery spoof in in this is that they firstly Liz Smith looks marvelous. She just looks so yeah. funny. And as soon as people see her, they know what she's what it's about. And obviously the famous scene in Misery is when she whacks his foot. Yes. With a hammer. And and this it, the <laughs> the way she stretches the the legs <laughs> of, 
it's just brilliant it's such a good visual because you don't know what she's going to do and it's just you know it's like it's obviously a toy but it, it it's so the, it's just the heart is there and it, it's just very funny do you know what? that that bit is so funny and i watched it with a with a friend at christmas who'd never even seen misery so the joke just completely went over my friend's head and i thought oh if only you knew what the film misery was i'm sure you would have found this yeah. hilarious I mean, Benjamin Saunders did a spoof of Misery a couple of years later, and it is very good. But as with all their spoofs, it's very exact to the story of yes. the, the look of the film. Whereas I think what works with with Two Point Four is, you know, Bet's house is like the house in Misery. It's in the middle of nowhere. Ben, yes. probably seen that film with Bill at the cinema, thought it'd be like reminded her him Kathy Bates' character of, of reminded him a bit of Bet, but then. He will then have thought about that and and had those mm-hmm. nightmares before, so yeah. it really works well. And then I love the way he yeah. still thinks that and still assumes he will go there. The yes, exactly. Even she throws like orange lemon slices on his. Teeth. Oh, do you know what that bit is absolutely classic? Just thinking, you know, back to the actual full misery and, and what the James uh, can uh, character goes through. And then Ben just, you know, the worst thing that could be done to him is being tied up in that bed and having orange and lemon slices thrown at him. Yeah. Force fed. Incredible. I mean, it just is. And, and, but again, it's a, it's a spoof that still works because the film is still very, very popular. Yes, absolutely. Um, next two, I'll mean, mention two separate um, references. Beauty and the Beast is referenced in a Secret Diary of David Porter. Uh, when Jenny goes to the cinema, um, he asks what's on Beauty and the Beast. And then in Parent Trap, when Bill needs Ben, Ben needs David to go away, she suggests he goes to see Aladdin, but not violent films. I hinted him to go violent films. This was the era of the Disney Renaissance. You had yeah. Little Mermaid, this point, yeah. and then the after Aladdin would be um, Lion King. And, you know, what an extra... And then obviously Toy Story came around, that's Pixar, but yeah. I think that run of films is is magic. And and the thing about them is that they are still very popular films. I mean, Disney Plus have them. But then, as you mentioned earlier, there has been uh, in the last sort of ten years, they've all been remade with live action versions. Yeah, with I would say mixed results, bordering on they're mostly dreadful. Quite honestly. Well, to be honest, um, you know, I've only seen a couple. Like I said, that Pinocchio film, and I just don't enjoy them. Even to the point now where. You know, Peter Pan and Wendy has recently come out, and I just can't be bothered to watch it. I just, I've got so many films that I, you know, on my list that I haven't seen yet that I'm dying to watch, and I just, I just don't want to to give up time just to watch these 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 lame, appalling remakes. Yeah, and to be honest, Judy, I'm actually not. I know a lot of people are against remakes, and I'm 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 not that way at all. But no. these recently films, they're like. Kickbox exercises—they're terrible. They are. I mean, Aladdin was all right. I quite enjoyed Aladdin. I thought it was well cast. I thought Will Smith did a good job with Genie. Mm-hmm. He really did. But I think what Beauty and the Beast failed on—it was well cast mostly. But I felt that the way that they did the CGI of the ornaments coming to life—it proved to me that sometimes Disney cartoon magic. You can suspend your your belief a little bit with 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 it being in, in an animation, certain things happening, mm-hmm. rather than in real than, than the reality of seeing yeah. ornaments come to life. And the one that really didn't know it's not referenced in two point four, but Lion King. I mean, I've never been on MDMA, but I imagine 
the Lion King live action is what it must be like to be on something like that kind of drug because it's realistic animals. Mm-hmm. You made them so realistic, and then they start talking, and you just feel. Oh, uh, like, see. It's sorry, yeah. weird. It's horrible. Yeah, it's twist. It's twisted. Is what it is. Do you know what, JD? Funny you should say that. Um, one of my all-time favorite films is 101 Dalmatians, the 1996 oh, yeah. live-action one. And when I was younger, I was always sort of torn. You know, do I wish the dogs had spoke, or you know, is it better the way it is? And when I look back at films where you have real-life animals and they did speak, it does date the film quite badly and i'm actually sort of relieved now that actually in that film the dogs didn't speak and the film is perfect the way it is oh completely that is a good example of a good one because they really expand on the idea of the cartoon and the book of mm-hmm. Dalmatians. and obviously ken close is is legendary as yeah Deville. i thought maleficent was really good i haven't seen okay i haven't seen that i liked it because okay. i love maleficent i thought the idea of it being from her perspective was really clever but now, Little Mermaid's just come out. I mean, I, I, my problem with these is that they're being made. I mean, this thing is, Disney are making good new films. I mean, I didn't like Frozen, but they did Encanto, they've done Moana, they've done, I know some of these are, are Pixar, but they've done uh, Wreck-It Ralph, uh, Big Hero, and, uh, and they, they, they're doing new ideas. They don't need to revisit these ones. The yes. cast is still perfect as they are. And, you know, as I say, these references in 2.4 when they were at the cinema and most of us our generation will have seen them on video for the first time most of them yes absolutely so i think the best one in series three is the star trek funeral oh absolutely what i think is amazing is how star trek was a cult phenomenon from the beginning (laughs) and all over the world and yet in the 90s you had next generation but you had a revival and repeat of the original mm. Star Trek, so there was a new generation watching it. And so the fact that they were able to incorporate that into a sitcom, you know, and, and having all these characters dressed in a funeral. I mean, yeah. how many people will request for people to dress up as certain characters at someone's funeral? I know, I just, I love seeing Christine dressed as a triple. I would love a triple costume. It's fantastic. Do you think that scene was filmed in front of the audience? I believe from, from the... Um, from the, the the interviews I've done, it was in a studio. Oh wow! I'd love to have seen that live. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was a some fantastic and a man dressed up as um, Yahura. Yes, exactly. Very sexy. And then we go into the fourth series, and of course, many references to Alfred Hitchcock and spoofs of Hitchcock, but none other than Rear Window, and. What I really like about this spoof is that in this year, 1994, there were three sitcoms that did rear window spoofs. There was The Detectives and The Simpsons. Now, in The Detectives, oh, it yeah. was more like it was set in the um, it was set in, an, in a block of flats, very similar to the one you see in the film Rear Window. James Cagney he broke his leg. He has a, has a, a telescope and then uses it to uh, look... It's voyeurism, technically spying, um, but then thinks he sees someone being murdered. And what I like again about this is that it's in Bill's house. She's ill. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that David gives her the telescope and references Alfred Hitchcock's rear window and tells her what goes on. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And actually, just I don't know if it is exactly based on Rear Window, but in Birds of a Feather, in Series 5, there's a 1993 episode where Sharon and Tracy think that think that Dorian has killed Marcus and they think that she's burying him in the garden but it just turns out she's burying his golf clubs 
<laughs> I like that. That's a really yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, Lullaby. It's full of, of options, potential for comedy. Yes, exactly. Yes. No, but the Alfred the um, the room window where David's explaining it to Bill though, it's uh I just love how she she's pretending to look interested, but actually when he leaves the the te- uh the teles not the telescope, the Oh my god, my mind's gone blank. What's it called? It's a telescope. Yeah. No. It is, yeah, sorry. My <laughs> mind just went completely blank then. Yeah, <laughs> so when and you can just see then she just you can see then she's completely sucked in by the idea of using it yeah and i my favorite part of that i think it's the detail i love in 2.4 is the fact that when she's looking down at rona's front house you've got a man go past who looks like arvid hitchcock in that yes the cameos which he did in all of his films again you know hitchcock is unfortunately you know another one who's kind of personal you know things that have come out about him mm-hmm. but his films have lasted a long time i mean I, I think there are some of his films that are very popular in, in the kind of grandiose of, of grandiose pantheon of film, like Psycho, of course. But I think he is yeah. someone, especially for, for film directors, he is someone who is, mm-hmm. the well, he's called the master of suspense. Yeah. What's interesting is with Alfred Hitchcock is, for example, Rear Window, because it's such a famous film, I'd only actually seen it for the first time last September, but because his films are so well known, even without seeing it, um, you know, I, I feel I know so much about it. And there are some films where I have said to people, oh yeah, I've seen it, but actually I haven't. It's just because it, it's so well known. You mm. just feel like you, you you know, you know it. And I watched, well, like I said, I watched uh, Rewinded for the first time and uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I, and and I think it's like Psycho. People have seen the shower scene. I mean, it was done in, in Lady of Vanishes when Christine scares Bill and Ben with the goes ah, and it's, it's yes, like yeah. the murder um, violin screeching music. You know, it's been his his work is so parodied that you feel like you've mm-hmm. seen them if, if you haven't. And but they're they're classics, of course. Um, the Blues Brothers. Uh, yes, you know, and I I must admit I've still never seen that film. Have you? No, I haven't seen it either. And I think there's a remake of that. Is there a Blues Brothers 2000? Yes, that I think that was. I, I don't know if that's a, a, a. I think yeah, I think it's a sequel. Yeah, with Dan Aykroyd, um, back coming back as it because it was Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Uh, yeah. And then obviously John Belushi died, and so then they had uh, John Goodman in the mm-hmm. sequel. Um, they were it was um because Blues Brothers started off as a Saturday Night skit, and then they made it into a film. And um, Gary Olsen was a big fan of the Blues Brothers. Um, uh, and what's interesting is when 2.4 was voted at 44 in the Britain's best sitcom poll in 2004, in the clip that was interviewed with Andrew Marshall and Belinda Lang, and I remember Belinda Lang saying that an awful lot of the audience won't have seen a lot of those old movies and won't have said, I don't think they didn't know what we're about, but we had fun doing them. Yes. No, I, I like that. And actually, do you know I often hear when say if um, if a film hasn't done particularly well or or sometimes the actors will say they don't know if the film did well or not they end they do end up saying but we had a good time anyway and actually do you know what I think that's the that's the most important thing to be honest it does because a lot of films don't always take off they can take off many years later but I think if something was yes. made with love and, and they enjoyed it it shows through in the final product I think what I love about the lot and I think the thing I love about this when having um you know, done the my interviews and stuff. I think there was a lot of love for that particular scene, 
And yes. I think that they had, and you can tell they're having the time of their lives. I mean, you've also got in the same room, um, you've got uh, the, the kids dress up, uh, you know, as the the Wizard of Oz characters because obviously it's a mm-hmm. talent competition, um, uh, which is again another reference to the childhood favorite of the Wizard of Oz. But there was another um, more obscure one, which my guest Thomas it mentioned on the um, on that podcast for Frenzy. There's a, there's a someone in the background with fruit um hats with fruits on it on their head and it's yeah. someone called Carmen Miranda who was um a, a singer um who was named um, the Brazilian bombshell that was her nickname and oh, she, okay. and she was in a, in movies where she would have it was very sort of campy persona um mm-hmm. but again it's I think it's, it's another example of Andrew Marshall's love of old Hollywood sure because a lot well, of those films would have been shown on like daytime BBC2 back then yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, what I actually do like about these references, particularly, I mean, I know you couldn't have done this at the time, but now, particularly, you know, with the internet, you know, we have our phones. I don't know about you, but if ever there's a reference in a book or in a TV show, or, you know, or any type of medium, yeah, I check it straight away. So the best thing about these references, you know, people get to know what these references are just because, you know, it's so accessible to check. Absolutely. And there's two, actually, in Series 5, there's two that really do that for me two particular episodes and particular parodies so you've got obviously the graduate yes um, yeah which is of course yeah the concept of it's a great reveal because you think that dave's having this affair with this drama teacher mm-hmm. bill sees through the, the the letterbox this scene that is parodying the 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 graduate oh he goes it's her, his drama teacher and they're doing the scene from the graduate and yeah. granted even if it is just an innocent drama scene i watched the graduate for the first time recently and thinking to myself knowing what comes on after what happens in after that yeah. it's very inappropriate for a drama for a kid <laughs> of that age to be doing that but it's very yeah. funny. It, it's because it, it plays it really well to it it's really good what did you think of the film The Graduate? I really enjoyed it. It's very, I, it, yeah, quite, I ask, there's a lot of moral, moral questions about it, though, I'd say. Yes, yeah, so I, I watched it for the first time last year because I, I would like Dustin Hiffman, and obviously, you know, because of, we'd like to know a little bit about you for our files. But uh, I watched it thinking I would love it because I love the, the storyline, the whole, mm. you know, older woman, young guy, just, you know, I love stuff about relationships anyway, and uh, but I have to. I absolutely hated it. Oh, did you? I thought oh, I couldn't bear any of the characters. <clears throat> I thought they were all incredibly unlikable, and for me to like something, I have to care about the characters. And yeah. I thought, I thought Dustin Hoffman's character was an utter drip. Oh, it just was. yeah, yeah. I couldn't, so I couldn't bear any of the characters. But again, because it, it's been parodied and spoken about so much, I felt I felt like I had seen it anyway. But I did make a point of actually sitting down to watch it, and uh, I was very disappointed. Interesting. I think for me, it was the opposite for me, in that I found they were awful characters, but my feelings towards them changed depending on what they specifically did to each other as the story uh- progressed. It's one of those. Sure. It's I can see why it was very much a watershed moment in movies because mm-hmm. it was, I mean, very grown up. It's a very grown up story. Yes, it's also, you know, a particularly unpleasant story in the te- in the sense of what they're like towards each other, as you say. But I think that the <laughs> cool aesthetics and and it's the soundtrack's really good. I mean, you have the Mrs. Robinson. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Simon and Garfunkel. But it's interesting because 
the other spoof in this series main one is the prisoner and both the graduate and the prisoner came out in i think the same year 67 68 and what's weird is those at this series of two point four ninety five, we are as far from series five of two point four children mm-hmm. as series five of two point four children was from both the graduate and the prisoner. Oh my god! And what I think is interesting is that both of those films, that film and that TV show are very well respected even now. They're still they yeah. were cla- they were considered classics even then. I mean, even Ben calls the prisoner, you know, sixties rubbish. And yet, and yet, this you know, Port Marion still has the the festival every year, mm-hmm. and it's still a cult phenomenon. And I think it's interesting yeah. the way that two point four is in this weird middle ground of obviously we're now quite far in in the future now, but but it was still further in the past. Some of these ideas and these cultural touchstones were already considered classic then. And yes, still, and I think it's yes. the way these have aged. Yes, absolutely. I have to admit, I am I am a big believer of it, when you do watch a film, you have to watch it in that era and think about its background and context of that time. I, I have to admit, I don't I don't like the idea of, of viewing films with you know it, as if you know within the modern time because to me I, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I can I can see some people sort of watching it and sort of saying, oh, you know, that's not age that but and i get that because even i do that but i do you know you know think of the film at the time and um, you know at the time it was released oh 100 percent. i mean i i sort of it seems to be the Ian thing these days to say you know something has an age well and i am guilty of that a couple of very few times in the 2.4 podcast where i may have said oh you know they wouldn't get away with that now but i think for me now, I sort of think when someone says, oh, something's aged badly from, you know, even 20, 15 years ago, I think, well, yeah, yeah, of course it has. It was made a long time ago. I think, though, I think I says before in the podcast that I think it's very easy to, mm-hmm. to, to be able to look at something and say, you know, OK, that might not have aged well and that, but the other bits have. Like, I think with The Graduate, I think the reason why it was probably very unlike any other film beforehand was because it was showing mm-hmm. really grown-up story about yeah. quite unlikable people who were you know you had to kind of go along with their story because they're rich as well mm-hmm. and I, but I think that in a way I think what's clever about the idea of doing it as a drama piece for David and his drama teacher is it's a very grown-up piece which is going to challenge an actor yes which I think is really clever yes. yeah. yeah absolutely and then the prisoner spoof is just delightful because Jake Klinger's a big fan of it. Um, before he was with Geek before Geeks became mainstream. And the fact that he kidnaps Ben and embroils him <laughs> in this really in- incredibly outlandish parody in Port Marion. Yeah. Get, I mean, a lot of the all the extras in that were from the Prisoner Appreciation Society, which is still going. Oh, oh wow. And, and I got a story from one of them who was there filmed on the day. And you'll find that out when you read the book. <laughs> I just think, you know, The Prisoner is another like, two, like Twin Peaks. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it to the actual end yet, um, but I did enjoy what I have seen of it. And mm. again, it's still, a, it's still a cult thing even now. Yes, I, I haven't seen it. I would like to, um, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And then 1995, 
um, there's a lot of X-File references. Obviously, the final episode is called The Truth Is Out There. And I think the X-Files mm -hmm. was in the 90s, what Prisoner was for the 60s. Very much a kind of cult TV show, very innovative, and yet still very popular. I mean, X-Files and Twin Peaks are, are, are for me, my two of my all-time favourite shows that oh, really inspired me. It's by my outlook yeah. of the world. Sometimes, God, we live through the X-Files nowadays, sadly. <laughs> um, and I think inevitably, what's interesting is that the way Andrew Marshall plays up to David's character. So in the early series, he's into horror and he's into all these weird things. And then, mm. of course, he'd be an X-Files fan. Of course, when Jenny says he called up the FBI so he can take over the X-Files, of course he would. It was almost like yes. building it. It was like the show made for him. Yes, exactly. Are you, um, did you like the X-Files? You know when the show ended and then they made two movies. Are the movies good as well? The movies are very strange because the first one was released in the halfway through the series. And it sort oh, okay. of connects the story. And then, mm -hmm. which is, and it, I actually like the first one. The sequel was made six years after the final episode. The final episode ends on this enormous cliffhanger, which they basically ignore in the second movie. Well, say ignore it. It's, it's set in real time. The characters are, are in the same position, but what actually happened in the final episode is almost forgotten about. Yeah. And then they brought it back as a revival series, a bit like they did with Twin Peaks in the late 2010s. And it was it was okay. I think Twin Peaks revival was a bit more innovative than the X-Files revival. Yeah. They were just doing the same thing. It's got more of a closure. It's not perfect, but I'm I'm fine with it. Um, sure. I think that's probably well made. Oh, sure. I was going to say, that's not the first time that a show's done that where it's ended on a cliffhanger and then it's come back in say, a different form and it's just not addressed at all. I know the, the 80s show ALF. That ended on a cliffhanger, you know, does, you know, what happens to Alf? Does he go back home or, you know, where do these people take him? It sort of ended as a cliffhanger. And then it came back six years later as a film and had nothing to do with the TV series. And it read the Wolf series eight. You oh, know, yeah. That ended, you know, to be continued. And then it was actually never really addressed. Yeah, it's weird when they do things like that. It's like they forget that they think that we don't notice. But we always do. Yeah, always. <laughs> And then, uh, but again, I think that what's clever about the, the two parodies we mentioned, The Graduate is kind of within the context of something happening and The Prisoner is just him being embroiled in a tormenting spoof, just just as a prank. Mm -hmm. And it's just delightful yeah. to watch. I think the Dracula in Lady Vanishes is really nicely done because they use the hammer music. They play up the whole Dracula, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's it called, an anagram with Crudal um, and... Yeah, really cleverly, um, cleverly put together. Really. Yes, I am. Um, uh, the yeah, the Dracula films. I, again, I've never really, I've never watched any. I would. I'm interested to see what the 1992 film is like with Gary Oldman. I absolutely love the the Mel Brooks parody, even though it's it's rarely repeated. Dracula dead and loving it. I think I think it's hilarious. It's a great it's, film. It's yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. why it's disliked so much. I think it's brilliant. It's the only sort of Dracula film I've watched. Yeah, I like it as well. Really, really cleverly uh, made. I think that, you know, Dracula is so much part of pop culture. I mean, we're not mm -hmm. far for 100 years from the first Battle of Lugosi film. That's just, and, and yet, yeah. we just had Nicolas Cage do it with um, Re Renfield. So it, it'll mm. not forever. Yeah, the novel is very good. Oh, yeah, really well written with the diary format. Yes. And then with the 
man who knew too much you had the scene when ben's initiated into the um brotherhood of the plunger it's it's kind of inspired by a danny k film called the court jester from the 60s have you seen that no i, ha- I haven't seen it no neither have i i mean i've tried looking for it but i think they're hard to, to find to watch I think I've seen. I think I've seen a picture. Is he sort of dressed like the Joker, as in you know, the the deck of cards? Yeah, sort of like a Robin Hood style is what it yeah. be. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a ceremony scene in that, which is what inspires that scene. And but I think I do like the sort of uh, should we say more niche stuff. I mean, obviously that would have been big at the time, but I don't think. I mean, Andrew Marshall said you know that the the humor comedy of, of Stanley Kay K is is sort of outmoded now. Um, but I think what's really clever about it is that there is that element of something that was of its time. And I think After the Fox is the same, really. Yeah. Um, some some comedy obviously lasts forever, like Monty Python, Peter Sellers. Sure. I think Man- I think um, uh, is After the Fox Peter Sellers? I have a feeling in it. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think about 64. Yeah. So it, it, it just shows that something, but, but they have yeah. their own fan base. I think all things generally last, even if it's not lauded as being you know having having eight stood the test of time they still have their followers yeah sorry Jane, just what i think is no um ah uh, the happy is it the happy millionaire the happiest millionaire that's so isn't that based on the the series four episode virtuosity i think that there's i think yeah i think yeah yeah that's it it's from the... and is that the same guy that's in is that someone kate Danny Kay, Happiest Millionaire. Let me have a look. I think I have a feeling that it's Jerry Lewis. Oh, okay. Have a look. The Happiest Millionaire. Look, um, it is at Fred Mercury and Tommy Steele. Oh, okay. Oh, Mercury. So then in Series 7, you have Star Wars toys. When when Rona gets the orders wrong, Chewbacca, Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah. well, Star Wars was was had a bit of a resurgence at that point because you had the special edition uh, re-releases in '97, and then of course the the prequels in '99. Yeah, Star mm-hmm. Wars was a phenomenon twenty years early, but had come had to come made a comeback in the late '90s. Thunderbirds, you know, yeah, I, I think I really admire the cult TV references because again, a lot of them are still popular today. We had um, Jake Klinger dressed up. And then yeah. the Fab One. Um, I would have loved. I mean, I love the the bit when Christine says about um, taking the blonde way back to the shop, thinking of Bill going as Lady Penelope, but with the blonde hair yeah. that wears in two years before the mask, she looked fabulous. Oh, she yeah, she did. She yeah. Amazing. Oh, JD, just when I think of it, sorry, I was I wanted to avoid doing this, but just thinking back, one of the references actually. We, we missed off in, in Babes in the Woods. I love the fact that Bill and Ben receive a Christmas card from Terry in June. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> of course. That, that's a really good one because I didn't think about Terry and June is they were considered, like their show was considered very middle class, middle of the road. Yeah. He's joined the alternative boom. But what I found in some of my research for the 2.4 book is how critics thought 2.4 was a bit Terry and June. In, in Absolutely. The- I, I I didn't agree with the that comparison. Oh, absolutely no, absolutely not. And I think it's I, I'm sure I read this in an interview that An- Andrew Marshall said where I'm sure critics just looked at a trailer and just assumed, oh god, not another one of those. Oh, let's all sit round the you know sit on the sofa and like oh, look, dad's trousers are falling down. Yeah, yeah that it, sort of humor. Yeah. 
yeah exactly they they got it completely wrong just just completely wrong um and so we then move on to changing rooms which it was a great car party because changing rooms was the sort of in fire on the wall show at the time but um they had that had to come back as well early this year um yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. decorative shows are still around I mean, you had things like how clean is your house and four in a bed and you know, I mean, there are more property shows, but the, the fact that the fly on the wall and reality TV and documentary and stuff is, is still mm-hmm. popular. And that's why I like the way fame explores that. But it's also the idea of what happens, that Bill's dream of a grotesque changing room yes. over is exactly what they did in, yes. in the show. Yes, absolutely. And what I like about, um, yeah, well, as you said, those types of shows have um, stuck around. Even when I was at school, Pete, I don't know the name, but there's been loads, but I know Peter Andre, he did one on ITV. It was on something like one o'clock in the afternoon where I think they just they just did a whole redecoration of someone's house. That's it. And I like the way, and like the National Lottery, with the way that 2.4 was reflecting the changing TV landscape um, and the morals of it as well. And the fact that, Again, it's incorporated and reflecting the changing times and, and how it affects everyday people. I mean, mm-hmm. I think going back to the Thunderbirds with Fab One, Ben is so um, a big child that he's sort of similar to the Brotherhood of the Country, he's clinging on to childhood joys, and Thunderbirds would have been his era of telly. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that Christine says that, you know, he had to be um, given the, 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 the grown-up reality that they weren't actually real people. They were str- puppets on strings. Yeah, it, I have to admit, it is quite painful because I'm, I'm a, even now, I'm a huge fan of the children's show Tots TV. Do you remember that, JD? I do, yeah. Right. Tilly, Tom and Tiny. The thing is, I watch it, I actually, if I was to watch one now, I, I think it's hilarious. And again, I, I, so, I so want them to be real and still living in that house that's that recently burnt down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 I think there is that feeling and that while well, I got 2.4 and, and the way that they, he include, uh, Andrew Marshall sort of explores film and TV is the way it reflects our life and how we view our childhoods and what we remember from the mm-hmm. past and how we've just, you know, how it stays with us. Because I think you can rewatch things from many years ago and, and have the same feeling you had from when you first watched it. Yes, Absolutely. And so we had in the last couple of episodes, there was, um, well, in, in Carry On Screaming, there was an F, a reference to friends. So Jenny said that she thought she was, when she was smiling, <laughs> being with the um, probation officer, not probation officer, sorry, the um, social worker. Social worker, yeah. She thought, so, yeah, she thought the impression of the, 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 the theme tune from Friends. So Friends at this point would have been on Channel 4 for a few years and it would have been you know, popular. It would have gone on for another few years. Um, are you a Friends fan? No, not in the slightest. I loathe it. (laughs) (laughs) I I used to when I went to university. There was a there was someone a couple of years below me, and she absolutely loved it. And she always thought I used to exaggerate because I used to. And I I suppose, well, I was a bit. I used to say to her, "Oh no, I can't watch it because it makes me feel sick." And she used to imitate me saying that she she loved it. I I, the thing is, do you know what I find, JD, with a lot of American sitcoms? Hmm. I actually find I find. The, the acting's too forced, and I don't like the fact that the sets look like sets. You know, we've yeah. said before, the 2.4 children house looked real. The yeah. My Family house looked like a, a set. That's that's how I feel about Friends. It just looks like it's in a studio. Yeah, I think a lot of those those shows are very easily filmed. 
um and they're, they're made like that now and the, and the tone and the lighting doesn't make it, it makes it look like a, a set yeah i mean i'm gonna do you like it? i love it i love it so much <laughs> i i have a lot of love for it um i i watched it not when it was on i was a, i was sort of first generation after and i i i adore it yeah um, to I, be honest, I, I, yeah i'm yeah, no, I, w- I wish I liked it just because it is is so and I think it's sort of a good conversation starter, but uh, I just yeah. I, I just can't get into it. No, it is one that um, another one which has had a, a, a bit of a backlash in recent years from people who feel it hasn't aged well. And I think there's there's many other shows that you could say have aged worse than Friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still I, I I haven't I mean I haven't watched it very in many years because I watched it so much as a kid I want to watch new things but I am going to probably yeah. next year in the 30th anniversary sit down and watch them all again as and had uh, properly from beginning to end so I see them on telly and I, I enjoy watching them yeah noise, but I need to properly watch them as he what I think as an adult but then another one in that episode is of course you, it has um, the Windsor Davis character uh, Ben's um, father-in-law he thinks that he's a werewolf but it's because of him being very hairy and and Ben has that cream that makes his hair grow from the palm of his hands. Um, yeah. And then of course Rona references the Curse of the Werewolves and um, the Oliver Reed film, uh, mm-hmm. which again is it's uh, going back to that idea of the Halloween episodes parodying something Hammer based. Yeah. Uh, have you? Um. I have to admit, I'm I'm actually a massive Oliver Reed fan. I mean, I don't particularly sort of from the eighties onwards. A lot of his films, you know weren't well received at all but him as an actor i i think he's absolutely brilliant and i i read a, a biography about it well I, I i've read it twice because it's it's so good and i, I really recommend it it's called what fresh lunacy is this and uh and because i like oliver root so much i actually do want to go back and watch a lot of his hammersmith films because that's that's what made him famous that's a lot of the films he was in before that he more or less was had sort of cameo roles really but then once he was sort of um Start, you know, starting in the werewolf films and the the Hammersmith films, his his career took off. Yeah, he, he was he was he was very good. He was Bill. He was good. Bill Sykes, very good. Bill Sykes in Oliver. Um, he was in Gladiator as well, wasn't he? Um, and yes. He, he died at just at this point, actually. So him being referenced in two point four was quite a, a, a relevant um, mm-hmm. um discussion. And then we go on to some of the discussions of the videos and TV because I love looking at all the videos on two point four and wondering what what can you yes. Do? Um, I be- a few people on Twitter have, have noticed um, Blake Seven, uh-huh. uh, Doctor Who, uh, Cracker, um, and these are ones you have to literally pause and properly look into. I've seen ti- in the final series, I could see a Titanic copy in there. Okay, I think in one of the episodes, but it could be wrong because again, I had to pause and I re- I had to look closely. I don't know if there was a Black Hat Two video there. It could it could well have been because you saw one from the Grave one, didn't you? Yes, when you know, in the lady vanishes, I'm sure it's when Belinda Lang's closing a couple of the videos. I'm sure one of them is a one foot in the grave one. Yeah, I think I think so as well. When I when I paused it, and then James and the Giant Peach is one you could see on Perfect Day on on top of the telly. Yeah, and then of course the one which I think is used perfectly is is Home Alone when in, the, yes. in I'm going slightly mad. She's she is Home Alone, and she uh, she kind of. Um, <laughs> She 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 gets it up and it's quite funny because people look at it and and get the reference of the title and her situation. But the yeah. thing with Home Alone is, I mean, it was a new film at that time anyway. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you mentioned before about Home Alone, that really sad scene. 
I was also going to save another reference was E.T. when Bill says in The Deep about um, Ben, Bill Davis looking for UFOs and said, well, if, if you see E.T., tell him not to phone home. Yeah. E.T. and Home Alone are, you know, classics, films still. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm getting more sensitive and soppy in my, in, I say old age, I'm not even 30 yet, but, but, <laughs> but those films, Home Alone, when I watch every Christmas, I'm bawling by the end. Yeah. I'm it's, it's a touching film. It's you. You think it's just a, a load of 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 slapstick comedy, but it's so warm. To watch. Yeah, and to, do you know? I think uh, John John Williams's soundtrack is unreal. It's it, honestly, if you're actually just mentioning it now, you know, goosebumps on my arm. But mm-hmm. the music, particularly, you know, when Kevin's you know, in bed and he looks at the the picture of the family, and again, it happens in Home Alone too, where he's in the hotel and he looks at mm-hmm. the, the the family picture. Oh, the the music in that scene just creates such a such a sort of a, a bittersweet feeling. It's the end for me, actually. I won't spoil it for anyone who's never seen it, but the very last scene, it kind of ends on in a way you don't quite expect and it's mm-hmm. just, and again it's the music and it's the same with et i find the music in et because it's john williams as well very moving um yes you know that oh, sorry, i was going to say even at home alone you know when when kevin runs down the stairs and his mum's behind him yeah um that whole scene and particularly on the soundtrack as well oh gosh it's, it's absolutely beautiful yeah, and I think what's what's really cool is again with ET. I mean, ET have been ten years old by two point four starting, but Home Alone was still very recent. They're still mm-hmm. popular, and Home Alone's a, a, yeah. a Christmas classic. I mean, it's, yes. Disney Plus said it was their most watched film in Disney yeah. December. You know, so many new films since, and so many mm-hmm. so many Home Alone re- sequels, but they just lack the the yeah. warmth of the first two. Yeah, um, and then, yeah. No, I was going to say on Saturday, because I recently um, bought a, a, a Blu-ray player. It plays the 4K DVDs. Because they're still quite pricey, I'm quite selective with which ones I buy. Yeah. And on, I actually did, I, I bought Home Alone the, on Saturday, because it would just be, it'd just be great to watch that in, in 4K. Just oh, to see, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it just holds up so well. In fact, it, like I say, it's one that, you, don't, you know, for people who will have watched it at the time, they loved it. But it having been, I would have seen it when it would have been about 14, yeah. 13 years old. And it was just, and it's still great as a kid and it's beautiful as an adult. Yes. And I, I spoke to, I spoke to a friend about, about this the other day. And I said, you know, I, I, I wonder why, you know, specific films stay in the public consciousness like Home Alone. And you know, she said, because it's funny, which is so true. But then, you know, I think it's also because there, there was just, there really was nothing of that kind around at that time. And I, to me, I think it was, it's every child's dream. Yeah, it is. And I think that, the and it was something that parents could enjoy as well. So I think while Bill's looking at that video, mm-hmm. she probably watched it with David and, and Jenny and enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. There's um there's a, in, in series six of Birds of a Feather, there's an episode called uh, Puppy Love. And uh, it's where, the three of them decide to meet up with old boyfriends from the past. And Tracy meets up with someone who was attractive at school, but then when she sees him as an adult, he's, he's really unattractive and she's very disappointed. Sharon meets up with a guy who was nicknamed Zitface. And then when she meets up with him, he's, she thinks he's really attractive. And then Dorian, she tries to meet up with an old boyfriend who, who she 
you know, assumes, you know, he should be obsessed with me and delighted, you know, I've come back into his life, but he's completely uninterested and she just can't bear the fact that this guy is not interested in her and Sharon's met up with a guy who's really attractive. So she, uh, she's, she's pissed off that they're having a, you know, a, a good time and she goes home and she sort of, you know, slumps down on the, on the couch and, you know, as if to say, what should I do now? And in front of her is, is a video of Home Alone and she picks it up and she just looks at it with utter disdain and she goes home alone and then she just she just throws it to the floor that's amazing that's so funny oh i like that ah, it must have been the same home alone copy in the boobsy pop department that 2.4 used yes uh, yeah i would imagine so it did the rounds <laughs> and then the um in misery uh, there's bill was talking about taping and things that were missing and that, that, that they tried to tape they wanted to tape but what they actually taped but she lists pred that man which had been the mm -hmm. 1989 Mike Keaton film predator back to the future and brief encounter uh, well one of the replacements was brief encounter which is obviously a classic from the 40s but it's like mm -hmm. batman predator and back to the future all 80s classics that are still popping i mean god the flash is out soon and michael keaton's back as batman yes yeah absolutely can I add my favorite Batman? Go ahead. Yeah, he is Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman. Oh yeah, he's brilliant, so, isn't he? Isn't yeah, he? oh yeah, absolutely. To be honest, I, I'm not even bothered about the rest. To be honest, yeah. And to I have to Batman Returns. I don't know what you think, JD, but again, that that is one of my all time favorite films. Oh, it's my favorite Batman film. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, like, I like the Dark Knight more than Batman '89 with Jack Jackson's and Joker's great, but Heath Ledger's was better for me. Um, personally, but Michael Keaton is a great Batman, and Batman Returns is bonkers. I loved it. Do you know what I think? I, I really hope I don't sound pompous, but the 1989 Batman, I, I the only thing I, I wish about that film, I just wish it, it had sort of been edited a bit more. For me, it, it's it's slightly too long, which I think yeah. the film sort of suffers from. But Batman Returns, when I when I first got to TV, do you remember when Channel Five used to be really fuzzy? really really fuzzy i uh batman batman returns was on really late one night and it was on a school night and i knew my parents wouldn't allow me to stay up because it finished at something like one in the one o'clock in the morning but i actually just sort of sneakily had the tv on just because i just so desperately wanted to watch it and uh oh, it just brings back such such great memories yeah it, it's uh, it's it just shows how again something works in a time like back to the future as well yeah, yeah. It stays around forever. And then there have been you know, loads of great um, titles from, from the episode titles as well, like in second episode, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, based on a 1960 kitchen sink drama with Albert Finney. That was his first film. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. And I know it's, it's, it's based on a book as well, I think, by Alan, yes. Alan Stills. Well, yeah. um, a really <laughs> yeah. good film, highly recommended. And um, Thank You, Lucky Stars um, is a uh, 1943 Hollywood musical. Um, mm -hmm. And again, it might not be as well known now as something like Singing in the Rain, but still, I guess that a vibe of Randy Marshall's um, Hollywood influence. Yeah. Um, Do you know, what? I, ha I had a DVD of, of Bird on a Wire, you know, um, Mel Gibson and Goldie Horn. And I don't know what I've done with it, but I want I, I want to see it. I thought it was a song. Oh no, it's a film. It's oh, a it's oh. a nineteen ninety film. Oh right, I might have got that wrong with the title. Then I thought it was the song. <laughs> oh no, Bird on the Wire. No, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a film I had on DVD for ages, and then I had a bit of a clear, and I must have it must have got lodged in with some other stuff. But I would like to. 
review it at some point. No, I'll have to, I'll have to look into that. You've got um, ben, Badger's Bend, which is based on a, like a 60s um, TV show. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown was a, um, I think it was a Spanish film. Um, that's also a play um, mm-hmm. uh, from a few years earlier. And The Parent Trap, obviously a Disney film by, with um, Hayley Mills and then Lindsay Lohan. Family Plot, which is obviously Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And Fred, so is Frenzy, You Only Live Twice, the, the Bond film, Sean Connery's film. Um, uh, what, uh, the Truth is Out There from the X-Files. Porky's is from uh, an 80s teen, sort of American pie for the 80s. Dog mm-hmm. Day Afternoon is a, 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 a film with... Uh, Al Pacino. Al Pacino, that's the, the guy. Yeah. Lady Vanishes, Vertigo, Trouble with Harry, Man Who Knew Too Much. Oh, gosh, there's literally a run of four episodes in Series 6 with your Alfred Hitchcock ones, which is brilliant. Yeah. Now the Screaming Starts was a, um Amicus anthology film. Um, Lion, which the wardrobe was obviously the, the second Narnia book, but became the mm-hmm. film. And When Saturday Comes was a, uh, a sort of British comedy from the 90s with um sean bean malcolm x film yeah about, based on film about malcolm x sweet hereafter was based on a canadian film italian job the italian job fame hence the dragon after the fox carry on screaming i mean just you know the, the, i love the way that the titles also reflect yeah the um the the the, the, the films but even if they're influenced by the plot or not yeah, do you know I I used to think about if if the show had continued, I would, would love to know what what other titles Andrew would have you know used. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and and the plots would have been really good fun. Um, yeah, the, the one he said about yeah. oh, sorry, I was going to say the one he said about you know Christine about her being you know given an award for all the work that she does. I just even just that episode, I would love to know what it's called it or what it would have been called. Could have been My Fair Lady because that's what the, the idea was. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And yeah. No. I, there's, there's so many, and I think what I'm, what what's really, um, I've enjoyed about this conversation is the fact that it really shows how much film and TV means to us as human beings. And I always say about two point four, such a human comedy, human show about real people, mm-hmm. and the way that pop culture and 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 stories have influenced their life and their speak and how they remember their past and things they enjoy, mm-hmm. the escapism of life and. Um, I really admire how how it's used, not just in terms of going on a full blown parody of like the prisoner, but also incorporating little parodies in the everyday dances of the characters' lives. Um, what what are your final thoughts on the way that the film and TV um, parodies are are done in two point four? For me, it, I just love the idea how you know the fact that we're able to talk about it and. Uh, it again i probably wouldn't have come across you know many of these uh these parodies of films had it not been for 2.4 children so to me it's 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 keeping these these films and you know tv shows alive it is and as i say how many of them were already classics by 2.4's time and in the many years since 2.4 children was on they're still classics yes absolutely and to be honest i even I don't know about you, but even in books, if if I see sort of a reference, you know, to a show, I like I, I I actually feel quite excited about it. So the fact that Andrew, you know, clearly had a love, you know, for for all these films, it's nice that he actually incorporated this into his work. I, I like that. 
Yeah, it's been parody. I mean, he calls it a pastiche in that Britain's best sitcom segment, mm-hmm. but it it just works really well and and it gives flavour to the show. I mean, I think the Radio Times book calls it a buccaneering style, which I think is so true. Yes, yeah. Forrest, it's been an absolute delight talking to you again. Um, thank you for being my first guest on the new sh- of the first show of the year. And you're not on social media, so I'm not going to be able to promote you on anything, am I? No, no, that that's true. No, not always. But are you are you still ever going to do a Birds of Feather podcast? Oh, I'm not too sure. The thing is, I do, I don't. I think I'm not a very patient person, so I think I, I don't think I would have your patience to to do a podcast. I'd like to, but uh, I, I'm not too sure. Well, I think if you ever do, then I'll, I'll certainly be listening, and I'll, I'll give you a a load of promotion on the podcast. Great, thank you, JD. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation and we will be back with a new episode very soon. Uh, The next episode is going to be a little discussion about the many, I was going to say similarities and differences, but mostly differences between 2.4 children and my family, which is going to be a very respectful, but honest talk about the, the two shows, which are often considered very similar but actually when you break them apart they couldn't be any more different as always you can follow me on twitter and in an instagram at 2.4 podcast and you can follow porter world and the 2.4 children dvd and streaming campaign on facebook and 2.4 children is still on bci player it's on as available for over a year however long that is and it's still on brickbox now so enjoy it please share us and i'll speak to you again soon thank you very much Thank you.